And I think really at the end of the day, what corporate venture is, is having an allocation outside the corporation. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, I'm excited to welcome David Horowitz from Touchdown Ventures. David, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So I want to dive right into your backstory. You spent 14 years at Comcast Ventures, where you invested in multiple deals that were either acquired or eventually went public. In 2014, you left to start uh, Touchdown Ventures, where you're, you partner with leading corporations to manage their venture capital programs. What inspired you to start Touchdown? Yeah, happy to talk about it. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, I was at Comcast for a long time. I was uh, one of the early people that helped start the corporate venture fund there. I was there for almost 15 years. And what I saw there, um, a lot of people from the outside, especially other investors that I work with and other entrepreneurs, saw how impactful we were to the startups. But what a lot of people didn't see is how impactful we were to Comcast. And actually, that's probably the uh, one thing that I'm most proud of, uh, really almost every new business that Comcast launched during that era either came out, the inspiration to start that business or how that business was started came out of the corporate venture fund. And so that really generated real innovation impact to Comcast. And um, you know, also during that time, I started getting a lot of calls from other companies trying to pick my brain on how to do this the right way, meaning corporate venture capital. And at one point, the light bulb went off and I said, you know, I think there's a real opportunity. You know, a company like Touchdown really didn't exist before, you know, which is a third party management company that could help manage corporate venture funds. And so we came up with the idea, pitched that to a bunch of folks and got some early traction. And that's when I left Comcast. And that was right in the middle of 2014. So talking about corporate venture capital, you know, it's one of the fastest growing portions of the venture capital ecosystem. Corporate VCs participate in one-third of venture deals, I believe it was, and the number of corporate VCs has tripled since 2011. 75% of the Fortune 100 have active corporate VCs. What do you think is really driving this recent growth and this resurgence of corporate venture capital? Yeah, I think there's never been more of an impetus, and obviously I know you've written a lot about this in, in your various books around innovation, and I, you know, we've all read the Mark Andreessen, software is eating the world, software is eating every company. Everybody's threatened about you know, some new entrant, whether it be an Amazon or Google getting their business. I mean, Amazon and Google are in every business. So, so you have a lot of, we'll call them older line companies that have been around for a long time and never, been, never really had to innovate, and now they do. And I think this really goes to add to innovate. And there's a lot of proof points, whether you look at what, what we did at Comcast or other successful corporations that says venture capital is a great way to innovate. And it makes a lot of sense. It's a great vehicle to see a lot of startup deal flow, to get a lot of market intelligence about where the industry is going. And, and ultimately, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in, the, in this um, podcast, you know, a lot of different ways to, to you know, not just about investing, but really work commercially with startups. And so, so I think it will continue to grow. And, you know, obviously, you're very bullish on the space. You wouldn't start a company like Touchdown if you weren't. Yeah. So that's all the ways that you know a corporate VC can benefit the corporate. How do you think the corporate VC really helps the entrepreneurs in their portfolio to be the best that they can be? Yeah, I, one of the interesting things about a corporate VC is the amount of depth that that corporation has in that industry. You typically they have subject matter expertise, and a traditional VC it's very hard to go very deep because you tend to be more horizontally focused on you're agnostic to industry. 
And typically you're looking at, you know, investing in the best management team, best product. And in corporate VC, it's really different. You're really going, if you're in, for example, healthcare, you're really dissecting a particular part of healthcare. So that allows you to, I think, have a lot more knowledge of where that industry is going, have more connections, building up a recruiting talent around that industry. And so I think that's something that really gives corporate venture capitalists an advantage, even over financial, traditional financial investors. But the real way you really add value as a corporate VC is you figure out how the corporation that you're investing on behalf of can really support the company. And so there's a lot of ways of doing that. A lot of that could even be done and should be done in the diligence process of figuring out whether to invest. But typically what we'll do, even at, right after investment, we'll have almost um, you know, a brainstorming meeting. You know, What's put on the table on the whiteboard, all the ways we could work together. And then obviously, you know, the hard part is obviously executing that. But just having that mindset that once we close the investment, we have to shift to the mindset of you know supporting the portfolio company. That that's how we certainly think about things, and a lot of other corporate VCs do the same thing. That's awesome. So you know, corporations have a ton of options in their innovation portfolio, ranging from M and A to partnership to venture capital. What advice do you give to corporate partners, you know, regarding this this mix of what they need for their innovation, and how does corporate venture fit into that mix as an overall you know piece of the pie? Yeah, so I, I think you know the traditional model was that 100% of your R&D spend is spent inside the company. And I think really at the end of the day, what corporate venture is, is having an allocation outside the corporation. And it's certainly not mutually exclusive. I mean, a lot of great corporate venture investments are investing in companies that even supply product or technology that could work with internal R&D. And that's actually, so I think they're very complementary. And then on the M&A side, M&A is very difficult. I'm sure you had other people come on your podcast to talk about that. Actually, most M&A, especially when you're talking about a traditional older line company buying a new digital company, the success rate on that tends not to be high. So if you think about it, venture capital you know, is a way of de-risking an M&A for, for corporations, starting out, you know, it's kind of dating before you're married, starting out as a minority investor, understanding whether this is a good fit. And certainly, if you like it, invest more, whether that continues as a minor investor or certainly as acquirer. And so actually, that's one of the reasons we're seeing, going back to your earlier question of why we're seeing corporations do this, it's because it is a way of getting your toe in the water before making you know some big M&A bets in, in, in the innovative space. So playing out that analogy a little bit, you know, one of the biggest fears I think entrepreneurs have when they take corporate dollars is, does that dating make me exclusive? That I'm going to the altar with this company or I'm never getting married. How do you talk to an entrepreneur about why taking a corporate dollar won't necessarily limit their choices to be able to look at other acquirers, competitor acquirers, et cetera, down the line? Yeah, I mean, I think that the limiting the choices would be on how you structure the deal. So certainly the advice I would have would be you know, not to structure a deal that gives you that limitations. I've certainly been part of plenty of examples, um, even going back to my days at Comcast, where we had even some competitors at Comcast. Dish Network, I remember, bought one of our portfolio companies. If anything, I've seen the opposite, which is actually other big strategic players actually get more interested when they see that another player in their space has made an investment or gotten behind a company. So I've seen more of the opposite effect than necessarily the limiting you know, effect. Oh, I love that. So you know, related to all of this space of, as you think, corporate VC versus traditional How's a corporate VC and a traditional VC both similar and different, both from the mindset of a, an entrepreneur and just the community as a whole? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll, I'll put a bit of a shameless plug out for um, our um, blog, which you should check out, which is called Risky Business. It's medium.com slash risky business uh, slash touchdown VC, sorry. 
And we publish a lot of great content about corporate VC. So we're actually in the process of writing one on this topic because we think it's a good one. And I would say that they're very similar, um, corporate VC and financial VC, the process, especially if it's, I would, I would say, you know, first is the corporate VC run professionally. And that's probably a distinction that maybe we'll talk to on this interview or not. But a, a professional corporate VC investor is, should be pretty similar in terms of looking at financial returns, building a portfolio, being proactive in sourcing deals, the diligence process. The big difference would be the strategic lens. If you're not just thinking about whether there's a good financial investment, but you know what strategically can the corporation do? Again, going whether that's the portfolio value add we talked about or that impact to the corporation. And that's going to be part of the analysis of whether it's a good investment. But you know, the professionally managed corporate venture firm should be pretty similar to a professionally managed financial venture firm. At Predicting the Turn, we talk a lot about growth challenges facing business leaders today. And as we talk about growth, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Chinatown Bureau. Chinatown Bureau is a consumer experience firm solely focused on driving brand growth. They move brands beyond advertising towards a new brand growth playbook. They do this by building the strategies and technology tools that make each customer relationship as valuable as possible, streamlining operations and creating new revenue opportunities. Their clients are Fortune 500s and high-growth startups alike, and their engagements range from strategy development through full implementation of a new consumer experience. If you're experiencing slow brand growth and looking for a better solution beyond just advertising, Visit ChinatownBureau.com to schedule a call today. Being at the front seat of the world of startups for the last two decades, you've been there seeing how somebody does that professionally managed uh-huh. and really works closely. But you've also seen a lot of corporations, you know, whether it's ones you work with or in the industry as a whole, step on some landmines when it comes to working with startups. What advice do you give to corporations as they start engaging and working with startups to avoid maybe tripping over themselves? Well, I'd like to think the ones that are working with us aren't tripping over the yeah. landmines because we're, we're helping to avoid that. But but in all seriousness, um, yeah, I would say it comes down to this, you know, are you managing it professionally or not? And so some examples of some of the mistakes that I've seen, you know, some corporations make. Um, the first one would be not to have any goals of, you know, I think the first, you know, if you think about, you know, in our belief, if you're starting a corporate venture fund or a program within a company, that's like a new business. And the new business is to make venture capital investments. So anybody would tell you if you launch a new business, you should have a business plan and a business plan should have what your goals and objectives are of success. And so that's mistake number one, that most corporations don't have that. So then their executives check in to see how the program's going. They, they can't articulate how the program is doing. The second piece would be, um, purely acting for strategic reasons. Um, I can understand why a corporation would do that, but at the end of the day, I don't, you know, an entrepreneur probably won't want to take an investment with somebody whose interests aren't aligned with that entrepreneur and the other co-investors. So I see that as a mistake. The third one is you see some corporations, I've seen this a lot, rush out and will make a lot of investments. You know, they, they have a checkbook and they all of a sudden want to spend all the money. And you learn a lot that you know you there is no rush. It's a it's a long, you know, it's a long game. And if anything, especially if you're relatively new at this, seeing more deal flow and trying to understand you know, exactly what the right fit is, both financially and strategically, that might take some time. And so typically when we're starting up a new corporate venture fund, usually, I mean, we, we've certainly violated this a, a few times, but we usually might wait even three or six months before we make our first investment because we want to make sure, you know, once we make that investment, you know, you own that for a very long time. 
and you want to make sure you're making the right investments. We've seen some corporate funds in the first month make four and five investments. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Most likely, there's going to be a failure rate, and those where the landmines potentially come in. Yeah. So I want to dig into that. Uh, the second point you made there of the uh, interest being aligned. Yes. Because I think that's one that actually a lot of corporate VCs and a lot of corporations, as they get into this, they misunderstand. Yeah. You know, Joe Medved from uh, Lear Hippo, when I was sitting down with him as I was starting WPP Ventures, he said it's so important for the corporate VCs to realize both the entrepreneur and the traditional VC, yeah. their interests are aligned because they both want to make a lot of money from this investment. Some corporate VCs aren't structured that way. So how do you coach people through that of understanding the financial side of interests being aligned? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. You know, we learn a lot from some of the comments that Fred Wilson, who's a very obviously respected and one of the best venture capitalists of our era for Union Square, you know, he's actually been a big critic of corporate venture. You know, I think in, he's you know said corporate venture is the devil in, in one of his talks. And I think we've dug into that a little bit. And, and I think there's a little bit of, you know, I, I would call it, you know, our justice system is innocent before proven guilty. And, and this is like kind of the opposite of this, which is guilty before proven innocent, which is, you know, I don't know whether you're going to do the right things. And, you know, I think the, the issue with, you know, the issue with that is you have to prove yourself. You have to build your reputation. And this is one of the ways you build your reputation by acting, you know, just like a traditional financial investor would. And that's where I think you get access to better deals. People want to work with you. And ultimately, you know, I think to be successful in this in this business, you do want to make good financial investments. There's a famous, I think, line in corporate venture that says, you know, it's ne- it's never strategic to lose money, and nobody wants to go to the CFO or CEO and say, you know, we've lost money. So, so yeah, we're we don't believe in, you know, uh, you know, I think corporate venture is hard because you you have these two lenses that I mentioned before. You have the financial lens and the strategic lens, and you really should invest when companies hit check both boxes. And if it checks a strategic lens, it's okay. You could do a commercial partnership. There are other ways you can work with a company, but you shouldn't invest if it if you don't believe it can make money. And that's a fundamental belief of our team at Touchdown. Yeah. So one of the industries that you know I come from that we've seen a ton of change is in fast-moving consumer goods. Uh-huh. You know, the PGs, Kellogg's, et cetera, of the world. Kellogg's there is one of your clients that you work with with Touchdown. And a lot of these consumer brands have been buying emerging brands. Kellogg's bought RX Bar, Unilever bought Dollar Shave Club. And you touched earlier that acquisitions sometimes don't always go great. Mm-hmm. You've had that unique seat that Touchdown sees a lot of these acquisitions happen from your portfolio. And you were part of Comcast buying a lot of these, mm-hmm. uh, including some really successful ones that became business units. What coaching do you give to your clients and just other corporations of, how should they think about acquiring a company? How should they handle that to make sure that it keeps growing and doesn't become a, a bad investment or a bad acquisition? Yeah. I mean, one of the strategies that I've seen some corporations, and I don't know, if, I know your answer is on the CPG space, but I think it's a general rule of acquisition, especially of an earlier stage company. You know, Try not to integrate it as much initially. I think the, that always goes well. Try to keep it a little bit arm's length. Try to keep the culture... Ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, when, when we buy, when corporations buy companies, they're really buying people. Mm-hmm. And some of the people that are not good at acquisitions don't understand that. And, you know, they are focusing much more on the, the asset and the business and the revenue and want to preserve that and, you know, don't really have the right incentives to keep the people. I think the right incentives to keep the people is to continue operating the business, 
giving them incentives to grow the business. In some cases, especially if it's a startup, they're most likely capital constrained. So can you make them uncapital constrained because the corporation has access to other capital? So in, in, in essence, you take the benefits of corporate VC and you bring it into the element of a wholly owned acquisition. So that's my, um, you know, my best advice. But if you can't keep the talent, you know, it's hard to imagine these being successful, um, you know, successful acquisitions. What I've seen with some of the companies that you mentioned, I think the brand extension has been pretty interesting. So I know both you mentioned Dollar Shave Club and you mentioned um, RX Bar. And, you know, when they were originally acquired, you know, they were effectively single, at least from my understanding, single product companies. And now, you know, they've created a series of products, you know, under that brand, they have a customer base. And, and you know, obviously some of the CPG companies, Kellogg is really famous for that with, in terms of how they've grown their business and, and how they've grown their brands. And, and certainly same with Unilever and Procter Gamble and others. So I think you'll see more of that, but it goes back to the team. If, you know, that's what the team should execute on and that's a good you know, justification. So that that's why that's, I think, particularly important. Yeah. And, you know, on that part of how do you keep the team incentivized? You know, because a lot of these folks that end up being the founders or the early employees that join these companies, they're incentivized by going big. You mm-hmm. know, they don't want a, a bonus structure that's, you know, 10% of their base pay is their bonus. You know, they're swinging to, to change the game. If they've crossed that finish line of being acquired, how do you keep them motivated and incentivized to keep growing while not maybe alienating another division that is somebody that's in a traditional kind of job? Yeah, that's, that's challenging, especially in a public company environment, because I think the first instinct is, you know, I'm going to give the, the team a lot of shares in my company, and I yeah. do want them to help drive the stock price. I've seen it work better in a private environment because mm-hmm. there's no stock price. And a lot of private companies have some form of phantom stock, phantom equity plan. And, and you can do that even on a divisional basis where you can say, OK, what's the value of this division within the bigger company? Maybe you can give them both because maybe you want that manager to also look out at the, the whole company. Yeah. But I think it's harder in a public company environment. I think it's a it's probably comes down to reevaluating your entire compensation structure, which I think is very difficult for, you know, most companies would resist that type of change, but probably it's something that, you know, most companies are going to need to do to, you know, retain the talent. Yeah. Makes sense. So, you know, venture capital and particular corporate venture capital goes through waves. They're often tied to economic cycles. The massive growth of corporate VC has been tied to a pretty good time period we've been in and the stock market and the economic cycle. What do you think and how are you coaching the folks you work with of what the next five years look like? And if we do hit that economic downturn, how do they keep going through and you know realizing full potential? Yeah, it's a couple points. I mean, I think the the first one is I really believe, you know, based on the comments that we talked about earlier, that this era is different. You know, in, in the downturns of two thousand and two thousand eight, if you did nothing in status quo, you'd probably be fine. And now it's different. You have, you know, Retail stores closing, closing shop. Automotive companies are under threat by you know the Googles and Teslas of the world. Amazon is putting a lot of you know hurt into you know any company selling anything at retail. You've got Netflix, Apple are in the media business now. There's no industry that's really immune from this. Yep. So I don't think you can just say we'll go back to status quo. I think you have to keep innovating. And so it comes down to whether you believe venture capital is a tool in the innovation toolkit. The other thing that I would say, and I think this is harder for a newer corporate venture fund to understand, actually some of the best investments, so if financial is an objective, which it should be, can be done during these times. You know, other investors pull back, 
So if I go back to, you know, Comcast Ventures, but you can even look at other just financial VCs, some of the best investments were in 2001, 2002, 2003, 2009 was a terrific year for venture capital investing right after the 2008 sort of um, recession. So you want to stay in because the financial opportunities, but you want to stay in really because of the, you know, you need to continue to innovation. So, but there will be people that leave and I, and I quite, you know, those might be the people that don't survive and, and, you know, are filing chapter 11 or have bigger issues, but the, the big incumbents that continue to innovate, I believe will be in this business in, you know, good times and bad times. Yeah. Well, and I think that's so important because, you know, the average age of a corporate venture fund, I think is like a four years. You've been doing this for 20 years. You've lived through two economic downturns that have happened. And to your point earlier about people are what matters. <laughs> Oftentimes, those people that are in really good jobs, working for a big company, being paid a lot of money, the risk of them leaving isn't there. Mm-hmm. But when a downturn happens, they might be forced to leave. Yeah. And suddenly, they're on the market to go do a startup. And mm-hmm. that's a great time to be able to jump in and capitalize as an investor to uh, find uh, great talent. Absolutely. Yeah. So people underestimate that for sure. So related to that, then, you know, companies and employees need to be in this state of what I call continuous beta, you know, this place where they're constantly evolving and changing and recognizing all of this evolution that's going on in our industries and our careers. Today, you sit there as a founder and a CEO that has to think about how do you yourself continuously evolve, but how do you keep touchdown evolving? So how are you doing that? How are you thinking about the change that you need to drive for your people, for your company, and for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, we have a number of different constituents, which certainly makes it hard. So the forefront, you know, it's our our people, our biggest asset, which we've talked about. So we try to spend a lot of time in areas like training development, and we'll have, we'll pick a topic, and usually we'll have... You know, this will come from some of the folks on our team and, you know, an area of development. And we'll either figure out someone on our team that has expertise or we'll bring someone from the outside. So I think this idea that you're always training and professional development, which is pretty important in venture capital, you know, overall. The other key piece is really listening to the corporations that we work with. And this is actually a pretty good advantage of the touchdown model. So what we've seen is some of our best ideas of how we do things at Touchdown, you know, come from the corporations themselves or say, you know, have you thought about X, Y, or Z or have given us a new lens? And, and one of the nice things, if it really works well, we could take that idea and go to, you know, another corporation that we work with and really test that out and, and all of a sudden can demonstrate more value. So there's an interesting kind of network effect from that perspective, you know, of our model. So those are some of the, some of the things, um, you know, we continue to think about, what other opportunities are there for, for touchdown in the corporate venture market? And, and, you know, right now our focus has principally been, you know, if you're a new corporation that is evaluating whether to do corporate venture, we are a really good potential partner to work with, you know, especially given our expertise and our ability to really get up and running quickly, which we've done with a number of corporations. So we continue to think about, you know, what are the other areas of corporate venture where our expertise can be valuable? And so those, those are some things that, I'm sure you'll see from us as we think about growing our business. Awesome. Well, really enjoyed the conversation. You mentioned earlier that you guys share your writings on Medium at uh, slash Touchdown Ventures on Risky Business. Touchdown VC, actually. Touchdown VC. (laughs) There you go. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you and learn more about what Touchdown's doing, what's the best channels to do so? I think like any um, LinkedIn's made the world so flat. So certainly um, 
you know, reaching out through that or uh, trying, you know, find, being referred by a mutual connection is, is, is always great. I mean, obviously on our website, we have our email address, but I'm sure there's a number of ways to get a hold of us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. It was a great conversation and uh, love all the things you guys are doing in the world of corporate venture. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was great. Uh, great participating with you. Cool. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.